Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Did you miss us? Happy belated post Mardi Gras, whatever. Um, but anyway, with me as always is Dave and Fredo. Guys, how was Mardi Gras? It was Mardi Gras. It was good. It was good. Everybody's sick was... of fried chicken. I'm sick of fried chicken. Yeah. Fried chicken and jello shots and uh, standing on a street corner. Although I will say, you never realize how you, know, you get into the rhythm of being out there every day. And then the next weekend happens and you're like, why am I in bed? Why am I not outside on a, on a, on a neutral ground, you know, sitting on a lawn chair having a beer? So, Dave, have a good have a good carnival. Yeah, no, I mean, like, um, when you're in the middle of it, you you have to psych yourself up a little bit at times, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm tired, and then we got to go park, and I got to fight all the crowds, and it's the same thing every time. And But by the time you get yourself out there, you never regret it. I mean, you sound you like just, you sound you like a musician. You sound like a musician. It's like, every, or, or actually, you sound like yeah. a teacher too. It's like five minutes before class. It's like, oh god, I don't want to do this. I just want to go home, go to bed, and then walk in your classroom and you just take a deep breath and you're on. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the the thing is, just if you can, if you can figure out how to deal with traffic. And if you have a place to park, then the rest of it's golden. If you have to search for a place to park, it's awful. If you leave at the wrong time and you get trapped on, you know, somewhere, it, it's awful. Um, but, you know, yeah, that was, yeah, that was me Mardi Gras morning because uh, it closed the Chapatulas exit coming over the bridge because that's where all the floats for Zulu were parked. So everybody had to take the next street, which is camp, which, for those of you who don't know, put you right by the National War II Museum, which yeah. all of a sudden became, you know, the two lanes that go straight and the one turning lane be all became turning lanes. Well, I'll... It's wonderful when you're dealing with big pickup trucks from Mississippi all deciding, I'm pushing ahead of you. No, I'm going to do you one better because it was at the exact same time Brittany and I were on the expressway coming from Gentilly. And we mm -hmm. looked at Google Maps and it was like blue all the way except for a little bit of yellow when you get close to the Superdome. We're like, okay, let's just go that way. Never going to do that again. But anyway, same thing. They must have been moving floats. So they shut down the St. Charles exit ramp. And so and then everybody was trying to take the Chapatulis exit. Well, as we're sitting at the St. Charles exit, um, like I said, waiting for probably about 20 minutes, finally, they just all of a sudden just opened up the exit. And so the people in front of us started doing three-point turns and driving the opposite way on the expressway. So they go around everybody and go down the St. Charles exit. It was like, have you ever seen that meme of, I think it's like in Vietnam, of all the traffic just did just going all over the place and bicycles and it, that, that was that was it it was just like holy crud uh so, so anyway welcome to Mardi yeah Gras. yeah no like the, the the biggest takeaway is that you cannot trust google maps especially on fat tuesday um because i i ran into that last year where it was like this route looks green and then you well, I'm the pretty sure it's... that it, I'm pretty sure that it was <laughs> because I'm sure that exit was open until we were in, you know, in flight. 
because, you know, all that data for Google Maps is based on people's cell phones pinging. Right. So it's, you know, to show the congestion. Uh, so I'm sure it happened when we're, so yeah, I'm never going to do that again. And then uh, somebody chastised me on Twitter. So I was, boy, I never drive anywhere on Mardi Gras. It's like, what am I supposed to walk from Gentilly to, you know, St. Charles and Jackson? You know, yeah, or, or people that live on the North Shore, yeah, just walk down the causeway, so, right? Like that's what we're doing here. Come but, on, but that's Twitter, on. anyway. All right, well, mm-hmm. enough of enough of that. Yeah, well, Mardi Gras will be, uh, we'll will be here before we know it. Um, but we have big, exciting things going on now because there's new Star Wars to talk about, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We have three episodes of season three of the bad batch it just dropped yesterday on wednesday so and i i will just say this again i'm going to go back to my thing of you know star wars is like pizza it always tastes good you know even when it's not the best pizza in the world um so we'll talk about some of this stuff um yeah i have some thoughts um like i said enjoyed it but i have some thoughts can't wait to hear Dave and Fredo's thoughts. We chatted a little bit about it in our group message. Um, But before we get into that, let's do some trivia. Warm ourselves up. All right. Holy cow. Okay. Um, Dave, who briefly shifts back into Claudite form while trying to shake Anakin Skywalker off her speeder? And for bonus points, if you can tell us what Claudite form is. Uh, that would probably be Zam Wessel and the Changeling. You know, form. you're absolutely right. That's what it is. And ta- that was like, talk about one of those things where it's like they make a big plot point out of her being a Changeling and then, <laughs> then she's dead and it makes no difference whatsoever to the entire story. That may, I wonder, it was there were they not planning on killing her off? I don't know where they was, was there, did well, I miss they, something? They, it's supposed, I guess in a sense, it's supposed to build the threat. Like, Hey, she could be coming from anywhere. But the fact is it, she gets dispatched so easily. And, you know, like she literally walks up behind Obi-Wan Kenobi with a blaster out. It's like, come on now. Like if you, like if you, if you had seen her switch, maybe a couple of different forms, you could have implied you no know, that threat more directly, but but that it was just, just like that always just struck me. It's like I think she's a changeling, and you're sitting there and see going, crap, she's a changeling. What's that? Oh my god, that's not that. Oh, dead. All right, doesn't matter. <laughs> like that's going to be really important. That's going to be important later. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. That's not. <laughs> nope. Nope. All right. So it was Zam Wessel. Good job, Dave. All right, Fredo. What pilot destroys the second Death Star's power regulator? I think one of us has had this before. I'm sure. Uh, the answer to that question is Wedge Antilles. It is Wedge Antilles. He does it on his way out. I like uh, uh, the Family Guy episode. I said, take out the, the power station, and then it shows some like it hot when some sweat when the heat is on dun, 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 and yeah blows them up anyway if you have not watched the family guy star wars trilogy thou shalt it is awesome all right um to me who does luke warn 
Soon I'll be dead and you with me. Who does Luke warn? Soon I'll be dead and you with me. Answer, R2-D2. No, I'm just kidding. It was Darth Vader. So, Darth Vader. Da, 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 da. By the way, in my Google News feed, every now and again, I get uh, updates on new Star Wars uh, comics. And there's one they've been investigating. Or there's one comic book that's talking about how Luke got his green kyber crystal. They're really diving into this thing. And I was just giggling at this because I just want to say, y'all know why Luke had a green lightsaber, right? Right. It was because they were filming in the Arizona desert and the blue lightsaber would not show up against the blue sky background. And so now we're spending all this time writing comic books and books to explain away how Luke got a green kyber crystal. Which kind of goes into our topic of conversation tonight when we start talking about the Bad Batch. So think about that, kids. But first, I'll chuck it to Fredo for to get us talking about some news. So, a good, good bit of uh, news since we've been out uh, for, for fun. So let's start with some fun news. So it was announced last week that The Phantom Menace, Star Wars Episode One, will be making a return to theaters to celebrate its 25th anniversary. Yes, it's been 25 years since Phantom Menace came out. Uh, so May 3rd, you're going to get a chance to go back to theaters and relive the start of the saga all over again. If it comes to New Orleans, do we want to go? Yeah, I'll be up for it. I think, you know, I think uh, we should. Uh, Dave, have, have your kids ever watched it in theaters, or did were they? Or they've only ever seen it on TV or you know, Disney Plus. Well, I can tell you that my nephew was just born, um, and remember, you just said it was 25 years old, and it hasn't been in the theater since then. Dave's kids are not. Uh, out of college right now. So. There, was a, there was a 3D release at one point, but I, but I can't remember when that was. Um, About a decade or so ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, the, my kids have seen Rise of Skywalker. Um, Olivia. They've all seen, and they have, they've seen Solo. Olivia went to Last Jedi with me, and we all. Um, we went and we saw the re-release of Rogue One and the re-release of Return of the Jedi. So that's that's their head count at this point. I like the article that you sent to us, the the guy who said that um, kind of rethought The Phantom Menace and said we didn't realize how good we had it. Um, how, and I, you know, actually it, it seemed kind of like, okay, I really didn't like the sequel trilogies, so maybe this Phantom Menace thing ain't all that bad. That's the way it kind of came off in his concluding paragraph. But yeah, um, I still, I, you know, I still, of course, I, 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 I want to know what age somebody was when they saw it, um, you know, and what were their expectations and things like that. I, I remember going to that movie and thoroughly enjoying myself and not having a problem. Yeah. I always, I always say that for, sequel fans 
all they needed to find their Dave Filoni to make something like Clone Wars. And in another generation, they'll be just as the prequel fans, the kids who grew up with the prequels, are now. Where but they're do, just feasting and they're like, this is the greatest ever. Why did anybody hate this? Do you think that there's... I remember there's, generationally. However, I th- there's something within our culture where it's like, so just a song is out and you just say, this song sucks. This song, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like 10 years later, you like find yourself singing along to that song in the car. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it's fun. You know, it's like our tastes change, our perspective on things change. We've talked about this with the Phantom Menace before. So what I'm going to encourage everybody is that go see it. Go see it. Just give it a, give it a shot, you know, and, you know, because you never know. If you know, if you already know, like, like Kevin last. Uh, last episode and it's like not for me and it's like okay it's okay but I know exactly what you mean that tastes do change I uh, I wasn't a big fan of Oasis when they first came on the scene and I think Wonderwall was on the radio just like I've seen them out times and, and Liam's vocals were just they were too much and I'm like, this is not, this is not my thing. And about 10 years later, I, I came back to it and gave it another chance and started looking at some of their deeper stuff and was like, whoa, this is really, really good. I, I dig this a lot. Well, so. we, we don't have to, this might be a good episode sometime um, that ha- identifying why you don't like something. Mm identifying why you don't like something and then also the concept of um liking does not equate to value so i mean just because you don't like something does not mean that it's without value or you know um so anyway like i said i think we should handle that discussion at a later time but yeah i'm gonna go see phantom menace i like i like the movie you know, I could I could tolerate Jar Jar. It's fine. Um, I might. In, we're we're outliers of, of our generation because like I think we all three like that movie. Um, but yeah, it's. I get it. I get it both ways. Like if you if you just you know you're not gonna like it, then don't yeah don't waste your money. But like, taste change, figuring out why you didn't like something, I think can be worthwhile. No, um, I will. I will say that as much as you might not like the Phantom Menace, it is not Caddyshack 2. Anyway, um, Fredo, next next uh, topic. It's been news is uh, there's rumors, but actually uh, inside of Gaiman's reporting that Greenspawn Entertainment, who are the company that made Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and Star Wars Jedi Survivor, uh, developing a first-person Mandalorian game. Now, here's the note. It's not the Mandalorian. It's not Din Jaren. The rumors are that the game will see you take control of a Mandalorian bounty hunter that during the time of the Galactic Empire. As your bounty hunter, it's your job to capture bounties that are alive so, for cash rewards. So, Boba Fett. Well, 
They're not saying who. They could, but, but yeah, that's that's also somebody who was around the, the that time period. So I, it's I mean, gonna be interesting because this sounds cool. This sounds cool, mm-hmm. and I hope it comes out and, on the Switch. So and uh, Respawn Entertainment, the other big series that they developed was this uh, first-person shooter called Titanfall, where you take control of this like giant like battle droid, like like this mech. Um, so the idea of having, you know, they, they understand verticality, they understand how to come around like in a 3D environment, which when you think about it, I mean, Mandalorian Bounty Hunters, you know, jetpacks, the idea of being able to use your jetpack and come around and find different ways to kind of take your bounties, again, should be fun. Now, don't expect it for like probably another year or so, it's in development, so is that more than likely next gen is that something that would come out on the switch or does nintendo stay away from first person shooter type things it, no because uh, the next my, the, the next story okay so go ahead right right it's, it's, yeah but, it's more about the strength of the maybe yeah, handle the graphical touches that were put on it yeah and i think honestly if there's anything that would keep it from being on the switch it's more Given the, the time frame that they're saying, you know, one to two years of development, that puts them more on the lines of next generation. So PlayStation yeah. 6, the next Xbox. By that point, I mean, Switch is going to be like your old SNES. It's me, you know, you can try to put a modern game in there, but it ain't going to play it. So, but speaking of first person shooters, uh, if you love the first two Star Wars Battlefront games, they are coming to the Switch. So, the new content is going to have both Battlefront 1, Battlefront 2. It will be playable online with a Nintendo Switch Online account. So you can have up to 64 friends running around in this battle. It's going to include Kid Fisto as a playable character. You got Java's Palace as a map. And you get basically everything that came with all the iterations of the... These are the games from 2000 to 2005, so... It was interesting. Those are the games that really people gravitated towards. Uh, the timing, I'm looking to see. It's coming to Switch on March 14th and priced at $35. Yeah, I think it's coming to the other major platforms as well. Um, and uh, just fun. Like, if you think about it in terms of like the multiplayer aspects, and that's what that those games were great at, those servers for the for the twenty year old games are you know you can't get that unless you unless it's some homebrew thing where somebody's like putting on their own server so that people can still play that it's just they're hurdles to playing those games nowadays and so just like that aspect of it having it on modern platforms so that you can just boot it up and start playing immediately against your friend halfway across the world. Um, or halfway really across town, really cool. will you guys play Battlefront with me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, the, now my this is my uh, cheap nature. Now is like, well, I still have copies of the old games, but like, yeah, I do too yeah. for my Xbox. But um, <laughs> I haven't plugged in my Xbox forever. So, yeah, just having the opportunity of playing it on the Switch, taking it on the go, being online, you know, today's digital world. I can see where this is something where, I mean, because 
there was a lot of controversy around the like EA versions of Battlefront, particularly Battlefront 2, but they supported that game and there was there's still a strong community. They might still have those servers on, but I could just see where people pick this up on the cheap and just go go to town, just go relive. Again, if you're a prequel fan, right now it's Candyland for you. You're getting all your own movies, you're getting all the video games, you're getting all the fun stuff. Cool. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of cannot wait, how do you like that segue? Uh, rumors are coming out that uh, from Collider that The Acolyte, the TV show on Disney Plus, is slated to debut June 5th. 2024. Now, Disney did not confirm or deny the report, but this is the show that set, set play, it's, uh, excuse me, takes place 100 years uh, prior to the events of Phantom Menace uh, towards the end of the High Republic. Which so, I'm going to put money down then that that means on Star Wars Day on May the 4th, we get our first look at trailer. or trailer at the Acolyte. What do you... I mean, uh, it seems to be perfect timing. It would it would make sense, you know, because yeah. Anyway, I, I'm looking forward to this this uh, series because again, it, it's it's Star Wars in a time that we have not dealt with. Um, so I'm I'm getting a little weary of Clone Wars era. I'm getting a little weary of original trilogy era, and you know. Okay, we've done past Return of the Jedi. We've done a lot of stuff past Return of the Jedi. This will be fre- refreshing. So I just I hope it's uh, I hope it's a good show. I think it probably will be. It sounds cool. It sounds like going to be lightsabers and you know. So you got a great cast. You, you can't you know one thing you can say for certain is that they've attracted some really talented people uh, to make this show. So it, it shows the kind of support that Disney has for the idea. And so here's hoping that it just delivers. So we'll probably not know exactly when it's coming out until probably May the 4th is what I'm guessing. So somebody probably let something leak, but I don't know. I would agree with that. They'll, they'll release the actual release date. And... Yeah, because that's the other thing. You know, Star Wars likes to have something big for May the 4th. This this fits it so, you know. And actually, I think they should have a you know kind of like what they used to do with you know Saturday morning cartoons you know that are coming out in the fall. You would get a little preview of what's or you know or even just the the prime time shows you know that are you know what's coming up in the fall. And if they were to have like about a fifteen minute little thing on Disney Plus of you know what the acolyte is about and interviewing some of the, the actors, that would be a good thing to give us. So anyway, but we got more Star Wars coming. Cool. And in the meantime, if you want to uh, wait for that trailer or the next show, you can do so by reading Billy D. Williams memoir. What have we here? Which uh, a couple of days ago, uh, hit the New York Times bestseller top five, which he just, you know, Billy D, age 86, is just over the moon. So, why he didn't name this Colt 45, it gets him every time, is beyond me. 
I guess yeah. they may have been uh, copyrighted and or uh, licensed. Whereas what have we here? Again, you know, he's on the cover of this book with his cape, you know, as Lando. And so he's leaning into it, which I love. I love that he's doing that. And of course, he's telling you through all his stories of growing up and you know, acting in Hollywood and whatnot. So I'm, I'm glad for him. And it sounds like he's, uh, he's enjoying the success that he's having. Cool. Uh, before we get to the next one, I, I want to put in a little plug. Both of you guys have Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with Star Wars, by the way. Um, you need to check out, if you haven't watched it already, the documentary on the making of We Are the World. Hmm. Cool. Oh, my gosh. It is so good. So good. And the best part of so it. So good. The best part of it is um, just, first of all, you see Bob Dylan um, like just absolutely terrified. You know, they're trying to get him to sing his his solo line. He just looks so confused and like intimidated and just like the kid who has to give a presentation and, you know, didn't do his homework type of a thing. And so he asks uh, Stevie Wonder, said, Stevie, can you just come over here to the piano and play this so he could do a little practicing? And then Stevie Wonder starts doing Bob Dylan to Bob Dylan to say, sing it like this and start singing it like Bob Dylan. And it totally loosened up. But it, that's just one part of it. There's, it's such a great documentary about the making of that song. Um, so like I said, nothing to do with Star Wars. Sorry, just popped into my head. Um, so anybody listening here, go on Netflix, watch the making of We Are, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really, really good. It's just about an hour, a little over an hour, I think, hour, 20 minutes maybe. But so... It's, it's actually called, uh, uh, let's see, The Greatest Night in Pop. Yeah. Okay. The, the, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, as somebody who grew up, I mean, we all grew up with this song, but I was getting it on a third world country, half around the globe, completely different experience. It was surprising how often it ended up. I didn't show you the whole, it used to be like a half an hour, maybe 40 minute kind of warming you up to the song where they show all the, famous people getting together and singing their bits and a cappelling and and then they'll show you we are the world you know the music video it was always interesting so yeah, yeah it's like i said check it out. check it out we didn't have i just wanted one of my favorite things so far of 2024 anyway okay. so uh last bit of news and it's tangentially touching on star wars but it also touches on marvel last week we got official announcement from uh the hollywood reporter that Pedro Pascal is going to officially be Mr. Fantastic. Not just that he's fantastic, but he is Mr. Fantastic. He's going to be leading the cast of the Fantastic Four for Marvel now. That's slated to be the, come out July 2025. He is playing Rick Richards. Uh, Vanessa Kirby from um, uh, Mission Impossible is going to be Sue Storm. Joe, Joe Quinn, who was in Stranger Things, Eddie from Stranger Things, is going to be the Human Torch. And Evan Moss Bachrock, who I believe is from Girls, is going to be doing Ben Grimm, aka The Thing. 
and it's being directed by the guy who made one division matt shankman so uh it's gonna it's interesting for me i bring it up number one because hey we grew up with the fantastic four i love it i've always had this kind of thing where i go like they gotta get that they're not crime fighters they're explorers they're scientists so you gotta get that but also because i mean you look at pedro's slate coming up he's got like seven projects in pre-production or in production somewhere on the way between now and 2025 and that does not include either the mandalorian and grogu or the mandalorian season four so guys in demand which is great but it's like at some point you can only fit you know the day only has 24 hours the year only has 365 days and somewhere in there you got to get some rest and you know do all your uh media obligations Aaron, you're talking about favorite things uh, a second ago, and I, I uh, in our last episode in December, I'd mentioned the bear, and Eben uh, was a, is a major uh, character actor in that in that uh, show, and he's so so good. Um, I'm I'm like ecstatic over these four. Uh, time will tell who the villain is if it's doom and if they get that casting right because they've not gotten it right yet um but these four are just such a wonderful starting point and like pedro brings the intelligence the compassion the charisma um essentially everything the warmth um everything that you could want from Reed, Richard, Reed Richards on screen, I think, and uh, and like I said, I watch him read a read the phone book. Like he's he's great, um, and it, I'm not worried about the Star Wars side of it. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning. Um, there will be some conflicts, you know. Oh, maybe we get season four two months later than we would have otherwise gotten it, or know. something along those lines, but. I mean, there, there's there's two things here. Is that um, number one? I mean, the rest of the world works 52 weeks of the year with only weekends off. So, Crimea River. If you have to learn a couple scripts, sorry. Um, the the other thing is like I don't understand why it's such a, a hoo ha if he just does the voiceover. If they want to make a decision to like, I mean, for crying out loud. Dave, you know, David Prowse, yes, was in the was in the uh, the the suit, but it was James Earl Jones who was Darth Vader, and he probably did all of his work in about two and a half hours. You know, I mean, so I, again, I don't understand. And if they want to give him it, Pedro Pascal, you know, starring credits for it, that's fine. So I don't, I you know, they can, and if they really need to show his face in the Mandalorian. But I think they've de- they've decided that no, we don't. We just we showed it once, and you know it was for a specific purpose. And if it doesn't have a purpose, then you know let your cousin do it. I don't care. You know, just have the voice. So anyway, but yeah, get off my lawn. Uh, yeah, no, it, I bring up this topic just because it gets into. I mean, I was think back to the mid nineties with uh, Antonio Banderas. And now he blew up after performances and like interview with the vampire in Philadelphia. And all of a sudden he was everywhere. And he, even he mentioned that there was a point where he felt, he felt that he was tired of seeing his face 
on TV every time he turned it on because he'd either be on a trailer, a movie being shown, or an interview somewhere. So there is a burnout process even with the most famous peoples. And hopefully, we haven't reached that yet with Pedro. Obviously, he's still well beloved by people, but you can't get to a point where people are just like, oh, this guy again, he's in everything. Uh, but more to the point of it's a lot to ask, you know, you know, any actor, any performer, you're going out there and, you know, okay, you, you put down Reed Richards, because look, like I said, I love the Fantastic Four. I love the casting. I had some discussion with my brothers about some of the different actors, but I, overall, I love it. I agree 100% with Dave. They have to get Dr. Doom right if he's going to be in this, because that is so key. That, that's like, as that's Heath Ledger as the Joker. That is... You know, you picture whatever. You know, he is the big baddie of the Marvel universe. What? What? Which, I, which nobody else is. I have not seen any previous uh, Fantastic Four. So, what has been the problem with Doctor Doom casting? I mean, what are what needs to be done so, that hasn't been done? So, just just for starters, the two things I was I was you know, mentioned with Doom is number one, yes, he's a brilliant scientist. Who is also he's like Batman but evil, but the problem is he's necessary because he's a brilliant scientist, he's a brilliant magician, he's a master of dark arts. He rules his own country with an iron fist, but he's a benevolent dictator. And the funniest thing is uh, there was once one comic in the a Black Panther comic where uh, Doctor Doom goes to Wakanda to steal vibranium, and the Panther God just sees all the various timelines going forward. And they, the Panther God themselves determined the only way that humanity survives into the future is if Doom wins. And it's like, it's a realization that even a God goes, humanity is screwed unless we let Dr. Doom win out. And it's like, that is kind of so, twisted. So, but, but in terms of what they've had not gotten right, historically, whether it's, I mean, and we'll dismiss in any one movie. Basically, we're talking about the uh, early 2000s movie. Uh, I forget the name of the actor. They basically portray him as your standard, you know, greening uh, business tycoon, which he's not. This is, it's like, think of T'Challa, but evil. Like, mm. like all those elements that make T'Challa, where he's a warrior, he's a king, he is spiritual, he is you know, committed to his people. All of that, but turned on its head in such a way in which the only way he can help people out is by, I am the smartest, I am the most, you know, powerful i am the savviest and that that creates an interesting dynamic because not many villains get to be all that and yet there's moments where he goes the best thing for my people is for me to help the good guys so i will go help the good guys but we don't trust each other because there's too much bad blood between us i think you really touched on it with the um, like the regality um it's so important with that character and and I think back to uh, Empire of Dreams when they were talking about the casting of Princess Leia and how they needed someone with kind of an air of nobility and that could carry herself uh, a certain way. And they and they settled on uh, Hollywood, um, you know, nobility in a way because um, she came from good stock as it were and she was used to that world and she knew how to communicate in that way um and they kind of need that um and they haven't really 
hit on that and um the magic stuff they, they can do more with that than they they used to be able to because that would have seemed too fantastic <laughs> um a decade ago but now we've got magic users all over the place um so like the, there are multiple interpretations that they could that they could take and it would be fine um the comic people would lose their crap no matter what but like you it would be okay but you've got to he has to be like like fredo said like the t'challa of the bad guys he's so so do you guys have do you have any dream casting like anybody in your in your mind that would be that you could say yes that guy would be a good doctor doom no, and that's the part that makes it so difficult because it's threading a needle. It's saying you're gonna get the right person who embodies a physicist. So you got to have somebody who really understands the entirety of the comic book and not just mm -hmm. the concept mm -hmm. of the comic book. Yeah, and that that kind of goes back to kind of what I was saying about the essence of the Fantastic Four as a as a concept is is they they lump the superheroes with Spider Man and the Avengers. What they're not crime fighters. They're not people who are stopping somebody robbing a bank, like Spider-Man does or Daredevil does or any of those other heroes. They're scientists. They're explorers. They're you know most of the Fantastic Four's biggest storylines involve either a Reed Richards is doing some science experiment and he uncovers something, Q, uh, chaos and adventuring, or something crash lands on planet Earth and. Everybody goes, well, we don't know what to do. Call them. They can figure it out. And that takes them to space or whatever. So it's a different dynamic. And that's what, you know, at least, you know, Shankman, uh, Shankman, excuse me, proved that he can get that, that sensibility with WandaVision. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. So we'll see. Cool. Well, let me know when they announce it so we can watch, like, Twitter devour each other, you know. So exactly, I'm sure that will probably happen. Um, all right, well, <clears throat> that is the news. Let's uh, let's talk Bad Batch. And honestly, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, these three episodes, there's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Um, I don't know how you, that's just my initial thing as I watched them again, I enjoyed them. Um, but it was just kind of, okay. It was fun. I was watching star Wars again, but there's only a couple really big, uh, elements that, you know, kind of moved the story along. Um, but I, I jokingly said in our group text that episode one was, um, groundhog day Episode two was Tomax and Zamot, you know, take the heroes to the abandoned Cobra base and they get attacked by a Sarlacc. And then episode three was Escape from Witch Mountain. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's uh, so like I said, it, it was it, it was fine. Um, and I don't know, I guess I'm trying to figure out what my ex expectations were, I guess a couple episodes of being chased by creatures was a little bit maybe too much. So, but, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you guys kind of start off on this. what do you, what do you think of these 
three episodes and you can talk about the main plot points. Cause like I said, there were, there was a, br- a pretty big drop of a plot point in here. So Dave, what'd you think? I, I'm going to give Fredo the floor here. Cause I, I have, I think what I'm most intrigued by it, it'll just come out and then, We'll be riffing on that. So I'd, I'd, I'd just like to get his general thoughts. Okay, so yeah, general thoughts. I'm not going to disagree with you, Aaron. I do think that, particularly in the way, you know, first of all, no, dang you, Star Wars, you had to start the season there by bringing us back to text death. Like, do we really need to relive that? Thank you so much. I think there's a reason Appreciate for that. I think there's a reason I'm, for that. And we can, we'll yeah. talk about that in a little bit. But, you know. Uh, but also... I like the you know I'm always a fan of episodes where that Groundhog Day mentality kind of happens where it's you're showing the routine you're showing the 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 nature of the prison in which our characters are are existing because that's what had, that's what's happened to uh, Omega as well as to Boston. they're just subsisting the same way you know they're following a routine every day because that's the Empire that's the nature of the Empire we. We don't deviate. We don't, you know, do anything different. Like, obviously, of course, Omega was going to make fun with one of the snarling uh, hunter creatures. And, uh, of course, that was going to cause an issue. Uh, it's interesting. Of course, you start with Nalase disposing of the blood samples that they keep taking from Omega, trying to keep her hidden because of the big blood point. Um, but I but I do kind of like those kind of moments because it's, it's a lot like that episode in Andor where in the prison. And we're seeing him kind of live that humdrum and that's my mechanical that's, experience. It's sorry, that's my thing. Him. That's my thing is that if we hadn't have if we hadn't have seen about three episodes of Andor of basically the same thing, then you know I would have tolerated an entire episode of you know or actually you know three episodes of walking through the prison. It's just that that was that was my deal and it's it's not like we were in um in, we're in the third act of everything the third act needs mm-hmm. to get if you're in a play the third act needs to go boom start going so but, but i think but to that point i do think there's a reason behind starting it at this point and i think it goes to the bigger overall story arc that's going to play out because yes there's a big plot point we'll get to it but I think the bigger story arc is the eventual fate of the clones. And what we're seeing here is that the Empire does not throw anything away. They repurpose. They find a way to take, you were soldiers of the Empire or the Republic you know, a few years ago. Now you are lab specimens for the Empire. And we will use you and discard you and destroy you as we see fit because as far as we're concerned, you are a property. You have no value. You are not humans. You are not independent thinking beings. You are very much just something to be churned by the you're machine. Not, you're and, not wrong, but what we've we have like seen that from the, we've seen that from so many different you know Star Wars iterations. I don't mean to get into a fight with you, but I I, I agree with you. That yes, that's what they're trying to get across. 
but that's what they've already told us. So, you know, it's like I'm the Monty Python people saying, get on with it. Get on with it. Right. So, right. so let's, let's, I'm sorry, let's just get into the big plot point. I mean, the big thing that was dropped was that they're talking about M count, which nobody has said that this is exactly what it is. But I mean, we're all guessing that M count means midichlorian count. They mentioned it in The Mandalorian, they mentioned it here. And that's what I find interesting you know, is that, okay. And, and so, like I said, and for right or for wrong, uh, well, first of all, it, you know, well, for right or for wrong, they're, they're having to explain rise of Skywalker or they're, way, they, yeah. or maybe they're getting to explain rise of Skywalker. It depends if you're a glass half full glass half empty. Um, but you know, it's that it's the, you know, the emperor trying to figure out how to make force sensitive clones. And I will take a victory lap at some point in the next few weeks about Omega being a Force-sensitive force clone. Anyway, uh, but like I said, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, Fredo. It's just my, my frustration is it's like, you know, finite number of episodes and we're, we're it's, you know, the, the, the and, first and, and, and instead of giving us a new song, they're doing a cover. I don't know. So... Would it have been as, as as effective a reveal, the Omega reveal? And they never even actually said it, which I appreciate, right? Like, I mean, you don't have to say it. No. My, my kids didn't get it right away. I, I had to, I said, look, the M count, I think, means midichlorine. And, um, and you notice that she's throwing her blood away, right? And they're like... Oh, that must mean she's, you know, force sensitive. And like, I think that's where we're headed. And at the same and, time that they're explaining the rise of Skywalker, they're actually saying, hey, this thing that y'all got mad about in the Phantom Menace. Yeah, this means something. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, that's too, right? Like, that's that's Filoni, it right? All, it all ties together. <laughs> so go ahead, it Dave. Sorry. Together. We're going we're gonna to rescue Phantom Menace. We're going to rescue Rise of Skywalker. Um, I... I I quoted Yoda in our, our group chat and I said, uh, see through you, we can. Uh, it's like, we know what you're doing here. You're, you're, you're trying to um, make the, the sequels uh, a little more palatable for the people who thought it was far-fetched or ridiculous that Palpatine comes back in particular, but also the bizarre Snokeness and Project Necromancer, which was name dropped again. I mean, there's a lot going on here, and I was grateful for all of that too. Um, my biggest takeaway from from all of this was that I did appreciate the quiet moments. I don't think the reveal would have been quite so impactful if we didn't see that she was already suffering, um, and that just that mundane existence of the same thing over and over and she's a prisoner and she can't get out and she yearns to get away from this. Um, and I think that really came through and I, and I was appreciative of, of getting to see it. We've seen that in other places. We've seen that in other shows. We've seen that in star Wars to your point. We've seen that in Andor, but um, hadn't really seen that here in bad batch yet. And so for, you know, on that level, I, I didn't mind it. Um, and I thought it was really effective because by the end of that episode, I'm like, I, I, we need to get that girl out of there. 
Um, and we knew that um, she was captured at the at the end of the previous season. But I think like you need to go through some of this to make her rescue whenever it would would have come to make it feel a little more earned. I think that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I guess my my bit is that again, it's if we're if we're in the second act of the whole thing, I can understand taking your time a little bit more. It seems to me like you know, Return of the Jedi. We did not take any time to say we're rescuing Han Solo and we're doing it now. You know, it's like we're going to Jabba's palace and this is what's going on now. You know, it's um, so they could have. So I don't what they did in three episodes, they could have done in two, I think. Which is what which is what I was going to say. I wondered if this is why they've put three episodes as the premiere. Like I could have just simply said, well, we're putting an episode a week, but I think they recognized that they needed to give us. At least two. And if once they would have, you, if honestly, they would have ended on any of them, yeah. If they would have ended on one and said, "Wait till next week, kids," everybody like, blah, 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 get the pitchforks and torches. I mean, it, yes, it was one big arc, um, but uh, yeah, and I, I mean, you know, episode two would have been the one that I would have complained about. Um, that mm-hmm. that's the part. Mission of the week. We're going to go get into some scrapes and we're going to somehow get out of it. You know, the thing I um, liked about that episode, though, um, was the young clones and how like they were. I, I found that story like they're like, you know, a couple of them were just like, we got let's just steal the ship and get off. And I was like, oh, my God, if they steal the ship, I'm going to be so mad because we did that last season. We had some kids steal the ship and they were stuck. You know, it's like I was about ready to you know go full net nerd but i like the fact that like let's just take the ship and get off and the leader whoever the leader of the lord of the flies was he was like you know they they care about their crew they have honor i like that i respect that you know and that was like that was kind of cool you know i i, I like the element the, how they use those those three characters and I think that kind of goes to the juxtaposition of the clones and we see how we see the Empire using them in the first episode with the fact that they just discarded these three young clones, cadets, you know, like children, and left them abandoned on a planet with this gigantic monster. It's, it's just like the Sarlacc's, you know, jungle cousin. Like the Sarlacc lives in the desert, this thing lives in the, in the jungle. And it's, uh, yeah, good luck. You'll figure it out. We, we don't care about you. But it's that, you know, even though they have no idea, no reason to look at the Bad Batch in any kind of trusting way, that essence of who these clones are still within them. So they're able to recognize that maybe they should trust them, maybe they should work out how to help one another. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition. But like I said, the, the arc is the fate of the clones. On the one hand, you have the Empire discarding the clones and just using them, whereas the clones finding themselves own ways to support one another. Um, the thing that made me giggle was Wrecker strapping the power droid to his back. Oh, Gonky. And, and with upside Gonky. down. So Gonky is like, you know, yeah, kicking his legs. That was just funny. Um, no, you know. It's, I like the little bit of um, horror 
uh, aspects of that episode too. Like again, I I was like mo- in mock protest at, at, at that being another heist episode because like get on with it, right? Like we can only uh, it, we can only abide so many of those at this point of things, mm-hmm. and so like the, but this one was important. And again, you got some of that horror stuff going on there with the genetic experimentation on those vines and those vines that they would split off into creatures if you shot them and that was really creepy and my kids were like blah you know it was cool um so there's yeah and then the the freaking uh um sarlacc looking it wasn't wasn't sarlacc looking that has to be a sarlacc i mean it's that's i mean yeah with the teeth and the you it's, know if somebody tries if somebody tries to explain that away as being a totally different character that is like vanilla ice saying that it's two totally different songs mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um and, and i know i'm coming off like really negative here but mm-hmm. i guess that is that is my frustration with you know the way the animated series and maybe it's maybe they don't need to be 16 episodes long if if you have to have three episodes on the first night so that you tell a complete story it's like you know maybe maybe you need to you know trim some fat um but remember remember andor started in the similar fashion the first if you go back and watch those that that first season of andor particularly those first two episodes they drag it's not till episode three when the fireworks happen that it all kind of connects and then the funny thing is they did the same thing again with episode four and five where it's just learning how to soldier, learning how to pretend how to do the heist. You're and right. Episode six, that's nice. You're right. So this is this is a running thing that they you like. You are do. you are correct, but when you have Bob Geiger or not Bob Geiger, Bob Iger, Bob Geiger was HR Geiger, of our family. Um, <laughs> when you have when you have Bob Iger, like getting you know kind of down in the mouth about Disney Plus, it's like, do you have three episodes? Should you take three episodes to get going? Should you, you know, if can't, can, how many times can you go and say, don't worry, everybody, get to the fourth episode and it's really going to start kicking? Because I would, I, with, I would have thrown things if it were a uh, heist of the week for the first three episodes. I, I mean, I would have been uh, upset. Uh, and, and they didn't do that. Um, they showed us Omega right away. And they built that story up the way that they needed to. Then they went to the heist, but again, tied it in. And then the third episode sort of brought it all home. So it's like, I was perfectly fine with all of this. And to your point with Iger stuff, it's like, this is what we were talking about when we were like, are we even going to get a season three? Is that going to be the end? Is that, and, and when they announced the final season, season three, I was like, okay, I'm actually relieved that they're going to be able to sure. finish this thing. Um, and, and I, you know, remains to be seen what it will look like by the end. But So what I said at the beginning, um, do you think that it's yay? Well, do you think it it's time to explain the rise of Skywalker? Do you think it's we have to explain the rise of Skywalker or we get to explain the rise of Skywalker. I think that's just kind of a, a thought experiment here. It's like, was it part of a grand plan? If, if, if Kathleen Kennedy's statement of it was always Palpatine, 
is to be believed, then it could be argued that it's t- this is how we're going to explain Rise of Skywalker. Very much like in a Marvel way. If, if it's like J.J. Abrams screwed with, you know, Ryan Johnson's setup. Ding, and ding, then, ding, ding. Then it's like, okay, we need to explain this because we're getting a lot of bad press on, you know, and somehow Palpatine returned has become a meme. Somehow Palpatine returned. And not a positive meme, you know. Um, so, all right, we'll, well use... We'll, I, I find it positive. We'll I, use, I laugh every time. Well, it's, the intent is not positive. Somehow Palpatine returned. Um, but, you know, so it's like, okay, we've got to explain this so that, you know, people feel better about that movie. Or um, was it like, yes, this was a great thing that J.J. Abrams did in bringing in Palpatine and the Rise of Skywalker, and now we get we get to bolster that story and make it really cool. Which do you think it is? I, The cynic in me says it's the one you went ding, 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 ding about is like, ugh, you know, we've got to, you know, we got, we have to explain it. We don't get to, or yay, it's time to, we have to. I would say, I don't necessarily think that they have to. I think they're getting the opportunity to do so. We should be fair. Floating in Star Wars, it goes back to 1977, and the idea of Palpatine having four sensitive clones goes back to 1991 with the uh, Dark Horse comics, Dark Empire series, where he's telling Luke that the, the dark side of force rots his body so quickly that he's got to be transferring his essence into new bodies. So this is not a new thing. I love the fact that they're bringing some of that stuff back. Again, from everything we've known with Palpatine, uh, whether it's him telling Anakin about the tale of Dark Plagueis the Wise and trying to live forever, or whether it's uh, the, the, the cloning facilities here, or him trying to convince Ezra to open up the world between worlds. We know that Palpatine's ultimate mission, is now that he's conquered the galaxy, is the same power forever. But again, not to, not, not, to be, not to be the jerk here, but that's not what I agree with you, that that's mm-hmm. all been established, but that's not what I asked. Was it, mm-hmm. you know, we get to, we have to, or it's now time to? What do, what do you what do you think it was? I think as we get to, we get an opportunity. And again, kind of like I was saying, the Grand Archer about the clones. This is the this is the thing that they get to add on to that now, because again, we know that it ends with clones of Palpatine and Vats on Exegol. So we know that at some point this story goes there and we just literally had the Clone Wars. So the idea that Palpatine would have been messing around with this, okay, we get to fold that in here. It's an opportunity and we get to kind of, if along the way we also get to kind of make that make more sense. And I'm glad, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they get to because it's, you know, because it was like all of us at Rise of Skywalker, we went, what? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, so, okay, maybe this is the vehicle again. I've always said that I don't think the bad batch is necessarily about the, the team of clones that are doing their things. It's, it's about advancing, you know, a greater story. And I, I think we've figured out what that greater story is. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm glad because, you know, I don't want people to be, you know, negative Nancy about a, you know, 
a plot point, you know, I don't want myself to be that way. And so if they can make me feel better about, you know, somehow Palpatine returned, then, you know, good, you know, but it's just, I think it goes into, it still seems like Lucasfilm has been trying to do what Marvel has done and they haven't figured out that sauce. I think to your point, it's, it, it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall and to hear those conversations behind closed doors. Yeah, Whose idea was it? Where did it come from? Why are we doing this? Um, Notice we haven't had any like behind the scenes, like uh, making ofs for a while. Yeah. Anyway, well, keep going. Sorry. But I, I do think uh, Fil- this is from Filoni um, because it's his MO. Uh, he did this. Like, he loves Star Wars. He adores George Lucas. And his whole thing with the filmmakers that um, create this art is he gives it gives it its due respect. Um, and he sometimes he sees things that other people don't see in it. He sees the beauty in it. You mentioned this article that we talked about with the Phantom Menace where there was a guy that came back to it and was like, this is very, this is the work of a genius artist, ultimately, you know, warts and all. This is what this is. This is uncompromised vision. Um, and so I think Filoni always has, has sort of like trended towards believing in that in others and so with this i think he'd absolutely if you asked him point blank he would say, i get to do this i want to do this this is this is what i really like i i want other people to see the light he's like you know the um born again you know he's the the evangelist corner. yeah he's evangelizing star wars absolutely yeah. um i don't disagree with any of that um and I'm, I was kind of surprised that um, we're springing Omega on day one. And I'm glad that we are, which then makes me think, okay, so what's coming for the, the other 13 episodes or whatever it is? And I started wondering, since we've dropped the M count, we know we're trying to make clones and force sensitive clones or clones that can sustain high M counts or whatever, you know, is... And we know that Ventress is coming back somehow. Somehow Ventress returns. Somehow Palpatine returns. Is Ventress proof of concept? You know, in my in my work, it's like when they, hey, we want to build this thing. And then somebody goes and, you know, kind of builds a prototype and they have a proof of concept that, yes, we can do this. Is Ventress going to be that first Force-sensitive clone It'll be a short-lived one, but is you know, because she dead, so. Wait, but 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 but, hold on a sec, because that's the perfect way to get out of Ventress dead. Absolutely, it is. You absolutely it is. Kill Ventress, but still have her clone running around. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. Is that going to be proof of concept? It will be. It's here's where it gets interesting because we know that at some point these characters have to collide. I mean, we we get mentions of both Rex and Echo. Uh, we know that Wolf will be in on this. We know that 
uh, Ventress will become involved. Uh, Crosshair is out there with Omega, and now the Empire's coming after them. We know that Cat Bane and Fennec Shan are going to be coming. So all of these characters eventually have to run into one another. And it gets interesting to think in what dynamic that's going to be. Is it the bounty hunters are just being bounty hunters out by the Empire? Is it the clones are trying to do, once they find out about the lab and everything that's going on, they're going to try to do something? Or are they just going to take Omega and run? Uh, it creates a, you know, a couple of different questions for each one of these characters as to how they want to go about the things. Because, again, we know that some of these characters don't make it to the next time we meet up with the story you know, down the line. So we got a name dropped, Project <coughs> Necromancer again, and it was it was originally name dropped in the context of the Mandalorian when Moff Gideon was hanging out with his other creep show Empire buddies, uh, and uh, it was Hux's dad who was apparently Brenda working Hux. on yeah. Project Necromancer, and they just sort of left that vague. But um, do we think it's specifically about cloning the emperor or do we think it's a little more broad based given and given the, the uh I, I, and i'll just throw yeah, this other ahead. thing into the mix too the the army that we've seen in ahsoka right the the group of the the, the dead troopers essentially right we know that that is a piece of that puzzle potentially right now um in the timeline where we are with bad batch i think it is 100 percent about the emperor empire falls and you know even in um force awakens kylo ren says you know we we got information from you know these archives or something so i think you have imperials just picking at projects and, and data and Intel or whatever, you know, they're, they're fragmented, they're segmented, whatever. And I think Moff Gideon sees this, you know, necromancer thing. Cause it's also all about him at that point. It's about, and so then by the time we get to the force awakens, something happens between the Mandalorian and, it, and, um, force awakens that then it gets applied to the emperor once again. So I, I think, I think at this point, yes, it's a hundred percent about the emperor when the empire falls after, after return of the Jedi, I think then it becomes like, you know, like I said, I've just found this thing. And so I'm going to serve my own purpose because everybody's grasping for power at that point. And it gets interesting. You just reminded me of, uh, Going back to Battlefront 2 in the storyline there, we learn about the Inferno Protocol, which was Palpatine's plan for if if I if somehow I am assassinated, here's the orders that will go out to the particular moths and commanders around the galaxy as to what to destroy, what to level, what to make sure so nobody knows my you know what I've been up to all along. It's amazing. You know, Palpatine is like the ultimate Machiavellian villain. That there, you know, he has levels on his levels. He he has plans within his plans. It's amazing, and so the idea, and you can invent more stuff on top of him, and it fits because that's his character. So the idea that he's got a plan 
or okay, we have this clone army. Can you clone somebody with a, a high M count so that they don't lose the connection to the force? Right up his alley, right up his alley. We know that it's gonna lead. What again? We know where it leads to, but it's also it's exactly within its character. So the idea of having an army of force sensitives, that, again, that's right up Palpatine's uh, neighborhood. He's gonna want to do something like that. So and it wouldn't surprise me if it's you know, Empire falls kind of like you say, Aaron, and somebody just takes that and runs away with it because they think, okay, at some point, I mean, you know, this is going to become vital and I need to be the one you know, lording over in order to have a position of authority whenever the Empire comes back together. So um, to kind of put a bow on, on this, um, and I do want to say to everybody listening, I, just because I am critical of something doesn't mean that, again, like I said, doesn't mean that it's bad. doesn't mean that it's, you know, there's just some frustrating things that go on in, in, cause I, I, I think Filoni tells, he is an incredible storyteller and the visuals like of the sink dripping and things like that. Yes, it, it was great. Um, but he is starting to get a little formulaic or maybe he's already been formulaic because there was times where I felt like I was, like you said, the heist thing. I felt like I was watching a rebels episode. I felt like I was watching another clone wars episode. Um, but I am excited. The fact, like I said, that we're not going to go through 13 episodes of this just to spring Omega, like in the second to last episode, there's going to be places we got places to go. So I'm, I'm kind of excited for that. We've got crosshair out and we've got Omega out. So like I said, I enjoyed watching all three of them. Um, like I said, it's just some nitpicky stuff. So no, Dave, final thoughts. Uh, the line that they used in the trailer about uh, Palpatine talking about how this is the most important thing and you will be given every resource um, to bear. I, I That stuck with me a lot, especially watching it unfold on screen. And, I, and my mind sort of wandered. And like, I think most, not, I, I hate to generalize, but <laughs> I would think most Siths probably felt similar way like how do you hold on to your power um and this guy has managed to ascend to ruler of the galaxy and uh and so yeah now you're in that position okay i can tell people what to do and they're going to do it and so now he's bossing everyone around to try to make it happen um make this thing happen even as fantastical as it sounds as, as unachievable as it was for all of my predecessors um i i seduced anakin with this idea you know and and yet none of us had it um yeah it tracks it tra it totally tracks that like this this would be happening and that he would be doing this and um and so like you know from that perspective um i i think it's Everything is working for me. The story's working. Um, Omega, Omega, and Crosshair. We barely talked about Crosshair, but um, you know he's just dripping pathos at this point. He's just—it's um, so sad. Um, but you know those little inklings of humanity that keep 
you know, peeking through and you're like, there's hope for this guy. There's hope for him. And, um, it's not going to end well, but, uh, I like what we've gotten so far. I really do. I think it's been good. Fredo, final thoughts. Uh, on these three episodes, I kind of like, you know, kind of where we started. Like I said, I'm always a sucker for those kind of, you know, rat trapped in the maze episodes. Um, so I come at it completely different from you. But I do think I agree with both of y'all. If this had been Omega and Crosshair stuck in that laboratory in Mount Tantus through episode 14 of 16, this would have been an issue. I'm glad that they were quick to get them out. They were quick to uh, put Wrecker and Hunter on on a path towards finding them. We're getting hints that there's a bigger story that's about to unfold. Uh, we're getting connections to the larger Star Wars saga. So all of that kind of guides me to feel that, you know, this is going to end up well. It is going to be interesting to see where it goes because unfortunately, don't see a happy ending for a lot of these characters. The, 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 the tragedy in this, if, if there is one theme to the story of the clones from episode two through the original trilogy and beyond is that the clones don't make it. They get the short end of the stick every single time. Much in the same way on a larger thematic element as a lot of military servicemen and women get. They, they're the ones who lay down their lives, who sacrifice, who do all this heroic work, but they don't get to live in the world which they built because it is not allowed for that to happen. So uh, it's going to be an interesting story because I, I could see where this gets more tragic with a hint of happy at the end than a truly happy ending. Well, all right. Well, we have a whole bunch more episodes. See where it's going to go. So, uh... As always, let us know what you thought of these three episodes of uh, Bad Batch. You can hit us up on Twitter um, or wherever you see us out in the wild. Um, but until the next episode, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Everybody have a great week. My monkey.